0: Welcome into the JP and Hack Show, part of the Field of 12 Media Network. This is season one, episode 16, which is just wild how this time has flown. We are presented, of course, by our partners over at Bet River Sportsbook. I'm Joshua Perry, joined by my guy, Christian Hackenberg, here to give you some of the most insightful analysis of Big Ten football you could ever receive. Hack, how's it going, man?
1: It's going, brother. It's a shame the season's winding down. I know, but man. Got some, got some good bowl matchups, got some things to talk about. But it's been yeah. fun, dude. It's been a fun ride. I wouldn't you know, going into it with an Ohio State guy, wasn't <laughs> sure how it was going to pan out. Yeah. But uh but I'm I, I'm I I've I've really enjoyed this, man. So, it's, been, well, it's been
0: good. On the flip side, I was optimistic because I'm like I get to work with a quarterback and these guys actually know what they're talking about. So, it was really good. It's been really good. We still got a few more shows to do, but this has been fun yeah. so far. Um obviously only one game to recap. It was the Big 10 Championship game. Michigan taking on Iowa at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. I was there personally, and I will tell you from both fan bases, it was absolutely electric. You have Iowa, who was a fan base that I feel like was just really happy to be there, and I got to catch up with some of their fans. And it was a super exciting experience for them. They had been to Indianapolis uh, one previous time. And then you had Michigan, which this was a new experience for that fan base. And everybody was pumped up. And I think a lot of it was the fact that they were new to it, but also what the game signified because they felt like they they had a shot to win it, which obviously the outcome says they were right. It was their first Big Ten championship since 2004, which is a huge accomplishment. But now the College Football Playoff is right there, and they're number two in the in the final ranking that came out, and you could just tell how much it meant for them to get there. But um, in recapping the game, I'm not exactly sure how much there is to recap. Michigan 42, Iowa 3. I think this game was exactly what we anticipated it would be, was Iowa's lack of ability to be creative on offense and to move the football. Michigan, of course, playing stout defense and, and the creativity that they've displayed on offense these last few weeks really showed up. I mean, they had a couple of those gadget plays that they ran in there. Formationally, they displayed some things that They kind of had shown some wrinkles, but it became a bigger focal point. And really, I think they were trying to score some style points. And in my opinion, I believe they did. They had a strong case to be number one after that game.
1: Yeah, I I made that statement. and I mean, it did, you know, going back to what you were talking about, it did get ugly. Like we said, I thought, you know, I thought Kirk did the best job that he could do with a very limited roster, right? Like hats off to that coaching staff and what they've done to get 10 wins with, what they had i mean that's a hell of a job um just what happens when you run into a much more talented team yeah who unlike the previous few years has actually started to figure it out from a coaching standpoint and a rhythm and identity and when you just run into a freaking stone wall sometimes you gotta take it in the chin and keep it moving but i agree with you i think michigan showed a lot and i said that on our national podcast um after the game, I said, "You know, I think Michigan has a has an argument to be the number one team in the in the country. It obviously didn't work out that way, yeah. Um, but they definitely have uh, what I think is a favor I mean, well, not a favorable matchup with Georgia, um,
0: but, but I mean, it's a winnable game in for terms
1: sure. of I, yeah. But I think in terms of what the teams do well, it's mm-hmm. a very evenly matched game from that standpoint." Nice. Um, So I think you're going to see clashes of Titans when it comes to great defense, a very physical style run game on offense, two quarterbacks who I think are limited, but understand the system, can operate within the system and make plays when asked to make plays. Um, So they they just match up really well. They're they're very – they're almost damn near mirror images of each other with the exception of, I think, Georgia's defense, you know, Mm-hmm. They they slipped up once this year, but overall, I mean, put together a, a historic season. So um, I think they have a good draw and they have a chance to get there. So we'll we'll see what happens. But um, there there's a lot of arguments about this Michigan football team and they've really come together and we've talked about it, just being able to build throughout the year, build on the things they did well, get creative, add wrinkles, like you said, offensively. I think Josh did a great job of that throughout the year. I agree and just, just, just riding with the war daddies who are making plays. So um, I'm excited about this Michigan team and and hopefully moving forward, they can keep things going for the next few years. I'm with you on that. And
0: uh, you, you had mentioned about Iowa. And I just want to take time to talk about that program because 10 wins yeah. is, is extremely good. And they were gritty. They, I mean, they made it up to kind of the top of the Hill and then they ran into a couple of weeks where it just was not going well for them. And they still found ways to win football games. Now, you mentioned it, you get to a game where a, a well-coached, very talented team comes in. They're this is what's gonna happen to them. They're just so limited. But the fact that they were able to have the success that they did this year, I think really stands out. And you can look at specifically on the defense and special teams, the all conference teams that came out. I was got a bunch of guys on there. And they had um, you know, I think Riley Riley Moss was the defensive back of the year, and he was a two or three star recruit coming out of mm-hmm. high school. And that's yeah. what I was known for is developing guys and making sure that they rise above their level. So impressive there, but the story really is Michigan and you hit on all the high points with them. Like their offense has evolved in so many ways. And I think the players truly understand. And I'll get into that a little bit later as we talk about Josh Gaddis and the job that he's done um, defensively, that was the perfect game plan for them. They got a, a team behind and they, they can make it a pass rush drill. <laughs> and, yep. uh, you know, it's that's exactly where they want to be. And so it'll be really unique as we get into this matchup because I agree with you. I think that Georgia is a very, very good football team, but I think there are some matchups that you would say that you like Michigan in. Um, and as we kind of talk about some of the bowls, we can we can get into that. But I wanted to lead into this question for you because of the way that the Big Ten Championship game went. You can go back to uh, when they first started doing The um, when they first started doing the East and West, that was 2014, I believe, was the first year of that where Ohio State won the Big Ten championship that year. And then the next year you had Michigan State and then you had Penn State and then Ohio State goes on a run of Big Ten championships. And then you get here Michigan wins it. West team has not won it yet. They have not won it yet. And so it brings up this question of division realignment where instead of doing East and West, do you maybe make it a north or south, that could be more balanced? Or do you go back to this concept of leaders and legends, which people really didn't like, but you can make the argument that it was a more balanced way of conducting Big Ten football? Yeah,
1: yeah, I think it's tough because the storied programs, I think the argument for why they did it the way they did it is they didn't want to disrupt a bunch yeah. of rivalry games, um, which is a fair argument, but at the same time, really the pinnacle rivalry game is Michigan is Ohio state and Michigan and within the big 10. And then every other one, you know, they you talk about it, they mean a lot to the program, but I think there's creative ways to still get those games played. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it needs to be a year in year out thing because you do start seeing, uh, I mean, even thinking back to when I was playing, like, uh, yeah, Michigan state was a, was a rival of ours, but like I got up more for the Michigan and the Ohio state games yeah, and those games. That. And, and, but like every, but, the program feels it. The fan bases feel it. The kids in the locker room feel it. Like when it, when someone's struggling and you're going into a, a rivalry game and you're playing well or vice versa, it's, it, it's not the same. It's I think it just is one of those things where as, as teams get rhythms throughout years and hit stretches of success, when you see that matchup, that's almost a rivalry game. So I think the Big Ten really needs to shift away from that and start focusing in on finding ways to just to dis- distribute the talent and um there's just a lot of there's a lot of issues and you and I talked about a little bit before we even hopped on here just just regionally recruiting the way sure. the way everything's going funding um there's a lot of issues that a lot of those teams in the west deal with location it's just it's it's hard to get kids and you're when you're competing in what would be like your bread and butter areas you're also now competing against the Penn State's, Ohio State's, Michigan's, Michigan State's, the world, because they can go in anywhere and start recruiting because of the success they've had. So you're really behind an eight ball, and you're fighting an uphill battle, and it's, it's hard for them to overcome. And I think it, the north and south makes a lot of sense because you still keep that Michigan-Ohio State game intact. And then, um, you know, you, you distribute a little bit with Penn State now, I guess you would put Penn state in the South, right? Yeah. Kind of be the line right there. Yep. Um, I think, I think that would be very advantageous for Penn state to be able to put themselves in it. At least every year you got Maryland, you got, I would assume Rutgers would probably be in the South. Um, Iowa, Iowa would be one that would be, you know, one of those cyclical programs, but, It puts a a powerhouse in each one. So I think they could get creative with it. I think there's definitely a way to do it, but um, it it does need to happen. The dominance is just, it's going to be hard then for the conference to really grow because that's the East is just going to keep beating on each other. um, I think also
0: there's this interesting thought that if you are, you know, let's say you get an Ohio State Michigan rematch. Right, and Michigan were to lose that game. That there's this idea that you can be the SEC and get two teams in because 100%. you had your best teams playing in Indianapolis. Um yep. the other the other interesting thing is I think they went with this east and west idea originally, because the Big Ten conference is seen as this conference that is coast to coast, where you start off in New York and you end up in the heartland of America. And so I think it's very representative of kind of the roots of the conference and the breadth and the, the vast nature of it. But if we're talking about competitive balance here, I think all options should be open.
1: Yeah, I agree with that 100%. It's, they they have to get out of, out of the sentimental value and they really have to start thinking about – because like to your point, had Ohio State and Michigan played again and you snuck both those teams into the college football playoff, now you're talking about, like you said, now you're talking about um, the ability to, to, to put two teams and have two representatives, but also, I mean, think about the marketing and the money from TV deals and, and, and dollars from that standpoint, too. Yeah. So it, it, it's more of an economical decision, too, I think, if you, if you start thinking about it and the people making those decisions start thinking about it, you can, you can really start making pushes, especially with the rise of the, of the conference as a whole.
0: Right. And, and this is to say that there's never in this situation. In a, a two-loss team that, that has made the college football playoff, but it would be really hard to say that those two teams wouldn't be in that conversation of both making it in. But it's just something to think about yeah. as we move forward, but we'll get into our second segment of Big Thoughts here. Let me tell you about our sponsors over at Bett Rivers Sportsbook. If you haven't signed up yet, Bet Rivers is offering a $250 match bonus for your first deposit, but what sets them apart from everyone else is that they require just one playthrough to turn that bonus into cash money. With their new Rush Pay instant approval, withdrawals are not only fast, they are safe, secure, and reliable. Go to BetRivers.com today or download the BetRivers iOS app. Must be 21 years or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And now a quick message from our sponsors over at BetterHelp. Is there something that is preventing you from achieving your goals or interfering with your happiness? If there is, let me tell you about BetterHelp, professional help done securely online. Check out betterhelp.com slash JPHack. BetterHelp will assess your individual needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist to allow you to connect in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient you can start communicating in less than 48 hours. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's an avenue to accessing professional therapy without having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp has licensed professionals who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, as well as relationship and grief counseling. You can message your counselor at any time and get timely, thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. Find the particular expertise you need online. Don't limit yourself to counselors located near you, and do it in a manner that is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. Financial aid is available. So many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash JPHack. Join over the 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot slash JPHack today. College football playoffs coming up. We got some great bowl games that are lined up, uh, take you through the playoff game, starting with the Cotton Bowl down in Dallas. Number one, Alabama will be facing off against Cincinnati. Um, This is a very interesting one. Obviously, Cincinnati, the first group of five team to make it into the college football playoff, Luke Fickle, has been phenomenal. They've done a great job of developing players. He's done a really good job of recruiting as well. Now he's sitting there as an undefeated group of five team with with a shot to make some noise against Alabama, who's a team that it feels like is always in the show. They've done a really good job of sustaining that success. This will be a fun clash to watch.
1: Yeah, I'll say this. I think Alabama, you know, of, of in recent memory, this would be Alabama's rebuild year. We've talked about this on a, on a few other podcasts, um, and they showed up huge this weekend, obviously. But I I didn't feel that that was the trend of that team. I think that goes a long way to say, based upon what you were saying, they're they're having been there before. They as a program, top to bottom, from head coach to janitor, they understand what it takes when it's playoff time, similar to the Bill Belichick, Patriot way, Saban right. has his own thing. And they know when to turn it on. They know when to show up when when it matters most. Um, for, for Cincinnati, uh, the, just watching them throughout the year, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give Bryce Petty a lot of credit here. He, he made this point um, when we were talking about them this past weekend, but they do got to get off the bus. Traditionally speaking, they've started really slow. Um, in most of their games this year, and they've mm-hmm. had the luxury to be able to turn it on when they wanted to turn it on. Um, you cannot do that against this Alabama team if they come out swinging. Yeah, I think from an offensive from an offensive firepower firepower standpoint, and from what I believe is Alabama's weak point in their yes. phalanx formation is their defense. I think their defense has given up a lot more explosives and has been kind of their Achilles heel this year, more so than in years past. If they come out swinging and, and connect on a couple shots early and keep it interesting, it could turn into a shootout. And I, I think Cincinnati's defense, especially their defensive backfield, yep. is really good. And I think that's going to be the matchup to watch for them is how can those corners who are going who have been touted as, you know, top two, three-round draft pick prospects um, – How are they going to match up against some some dogs down there um, at Alabama at the receiver position? Uh, So so I think it it matches up well. It matches up for a shootout. It's going to be one of those situations. If Cincinnati gets off the bus, I think they can make it a really good football game.
0: I think so. And it'll be it'll be interesting to see there. And one thing that Alabama has struggled with this year is dynamic quarterbacks. And Mm -hmm. uh, like I look at the that's got them all the
1: time, though, too. Yeah. I mean, you think about it in Saban's career, Johnny Manziel, you got guys that can run around and extend yep. the play. Yeah. it's Yeah.
0: And, and I mean, Ritter's been really good. I mean, he was a guy who was in the Heisman conversation early on. He's got legs that can hurt you. He's been really good throwing the ball and they've been able to mix in some different athletes there. So I think it's a really interesting matchup as we switch over to the Orange Bowl, which is the one we'll really be focused in on. Down in Miami, you've got number two seeded Michigan versus number three Georgia. And we saw what Michigan has done these last few weeks. They've been building a monster. I think we've seen that variety offensively. We've talked about the defense has been their mainstay. And and the improvement that they made from 2020 to this year on defense is remarkable. And I think that's something that needs to be talked about heavily because they were not a good defense in 2020. Going up against the Georgia team that I think really showed um, that they're – they can be vulnerable against teams that find ways to create explosives. And I think their front seven is super duper stout. And Michigan's a team who likes to get it started on the ground, but they were getting lost a little bit in terms of their defensive backfield. And some, I mean, a couple of those guys looked like they had heavy feet running around out there. And the one thing I saw out of Michigan, which was really interesting was some of the gadget plays they had early that created that separation in the defensive backfield where they were able to get a quick strike. And so I think just early evaluation on this game, if you are a Michigan and you can create a situation where you get out to a 10 point lead early on in the game, you get Georgia doing something they don't want to do, which is dropping back and throwing the football. Um, Bennett has been a game manager guy, but we saw what happened when he had to try to win the game on his arm. It wasn't pretty. And Georgia's tackles will absolutely be susceptible against the two ends that Michigan has. Those guys are—they're barely blockable by anybody.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to go more big picture here with this one too. I think I think you're talking about two teams that are on totally different wavelengths from a momentum standpoint. Yep. And obviously, this break is really nice, and it's it's going to be good for these teams to to. I don't think momentum plays as much of a factor because of the time between games, but it will play a little bit of a factor. Kirby's been there before. I think, I think he's excited about it. I think he understands how to do it the right way. He's been there with Alabama a bunch. He's been there before once with Georgia. Um, But I think they just need to go back and get refocused and get back to what they were doing. Because I mean, just from a consistency standpoint, up until last weekend, I don't think I've seen a college football team consistently do what they've done week in, week out, top to bottom, defense, offense, special teams, all three phases, um, in a really long time. And you get punched in the you get punched in the gut. How do they respond? And then conversely, talking about Michigan, you have a team who, like we've talked about over and over again, is built and built and built, and is really running on a bunch of momentum right now. They beat Ohio State. They freaking ran through Iowa in the Big Ten championship game. So they have a lot of positive momentum. I think if I'm Jim Harbaugh on that staff, I'm trying to harness that as much as I can head into this game through practice, um, through, through bowl prep, just really keep those guys locked in and try to manage that aspect of it. Because I think that's an aspect that oftentimes gets overlooked. And a lot of people talk about X's and O's and matchups and this and that, and the other thing, but momentum, And how a team gets off the bus and their attitude towards the games and playing for one another, I think is a really big thing. And they're both on opposite ends of the spectrum, but they can because of where they're at, they can turn it either way. So I'm really excited to see how that goes. And you're gonna you're gonna be able to tell that within once the jitters kind of wear off, you're gonna be able to tell that you're gonna be able to tell that probably the third or third series of the game, fourth series of the game. So I think that's something to really watch with both of these teams.
0: All right. So let's talk about that real quick, because the one advantage Georgia does have advantage Georgia does have in this situation is they have prepared for a college football playoff before. And so they kind of understand the timeline and how to manage that. And then, you know, it's, it's similar to how you prepare for other bowl games, but it's a little bit different because you have to prepare for the aspect that you might have another opponent coming up where Michigan hasn't been in this situation. And then you can also look at Michigan's track record in bowl games, uh, especially New Year's Six type bowl games recently, and it hasn't been great. And so this would be a really good opportunity for Michigan to be able to shake that demon and to go out there and play. And it it almost, the feeling from folks around the Michigan program is the reason they haven't been great in bowl games is a lot of times they're heading into that game off of a loss to Ohio State where they spend a lot of time and energy and effort and it's really deflating for them. And so to your point, They are in a really good situation because of the momentum they have and because of the mindset. And it's wild listening to those cats talk, man, because they're real chesty, they're real boisterous, they really believe in one another. And that's a dangerous edge to have. Like I've been on a team that was doubted and that had that edge and that was getting that confidence at the right time. And once that thing gets rolling the way you want it to, it becomes really tricky to stop it.
1: It's it's that's so valuable. And I think the other point is is like Michigan. It always seems like heading into bowl games. It's always like is Jim Harbaugh on the hot seat. Is it like there's so much negativity for a positive outcome? And that's a great that's a great point. And for me, um, I just really I, I I this has been the year. Of them overcoming all of those stigmas and getting all exercising all of those demons that have yeah. happened in the last few years. So if it's any year, it's this year that's going to happen. I think. Um, but either way, just again, big picture talk. Either way, I think this is a huge win for for Michigan right now, program where they're at, and I know they're going to go out and play well. So they're going to go out and put a put a put a be a great representative of the Big Ten. Um, and I, I I'm just pulling for those guys. I want them to be I want them to be there. And, and now that they get a taste of it, just consistently be competitive again um, and, and push. You know, like I said, it, it all goes back to Ohio State. Just keep yeah. pushing Ohio State, at least within the Big Ten Conference. Like someone needs to keep doing it consistently. Michigan State was there for a little bit, fell off. Penn State was there for a year, fell off. I want someone to just stay there and just blow, just exchange blows year in, year out. And I think that'll be I think it'll just be really good for the conference.
0: I'm I'm totally with you there. It'd be really interesting to watch how this thing kind of unfolds for Michigan. I made the point on one of our shows on Big Ten Network. The question was asked, if Michigan lost the Big Ten championship, would this season not be seen as a success? And I said, it's still successful. Um, the guys on the set argued with me. And the reason I said it's still a success is this is a cornerstone. And they've done something they had never done before, which is beat Ohio State and then go into a Big Ten championship game. And you can build off of that. And I believe, regardless of the outcome of this game against Georgia, it's still a a really good building block, and it gives them the confidence that they know they belong in the upper echelon of college football. Um, We'll rip through these two really, really quickly. we got the Peach Bowl. That's Pittsburgh versus number 10, Michigan State. Um, And then we've got the Rose Bowl, which is the one I'll be covering with the Big Ten Network. That's number 11, Utah, versus number 6, Ohio State. Those are going to be two really interesting games. I think that uh, Pittsburgh is a team – that can – they can challenge Michigan State's biggest weakness, and that's the secondary. And then for Ohio State, they're facing a Utah team that is built off of toughness and they want to run the football and they want to punch people in the mouth. And for Ohio State, this is a good opportunity for them to show that they can be the bully on the football field. So I'm looking forward to both of those.
1: Yeah, I think Pittsburgh, the one thing to look at is Mark Whipple leaving. Um, I don't think he's going to coach in that game. I believe he stepped down. Um, yep. the offensive coordinator. So, I, yeah, at this point in the season, I don't know how big of a factor that's going to be, but could play a little bit of uh, – could, could play well into Michigan State's hands from, from that standpoint, like you were saying. Um, Michigan State's defensive backfield being their weakness and Kenny Pickett and those guys really being able to pick on everyone that they've seen. Um, and then with Ohio State, yeah, I mean, if Utah comes out and is as physical as they've been all year – Uh, I think it's going to present some issues for Ohio state, but I think this is really a big statement game for Ohio state in terms of how they're going to approach their off season, how that offense is going to continue to grow. And I think how that defense is going to carry the momentum moving into the off season. And you know that better than anybody, what that's like. Um, And I think that they manage that really well. So for me, I'm expecting an, an, an angry, motivated Ohio State team to show up in Pasadena. Uh, and that's that's usually, a, from my experience, a very dangerous combination.
0: Yeah. And the motivation, I think, is the biggest thing when you talk about Ohio State, because they're a team that envisioned themselves in the college football playoff this year. Now they're playing in New Year's Six Bowl game. And I, I tend to believe that a Rose Bowl is still a huge deal. I'm a kid who grew up on big 10 football It's something I lament about my career is that I never had an opportunity to play in a Rose bowl for a number of reasons. And so they need to understand the moment that they're in Ohio state is a very recognizable brand in that football game. And I think that game still carries the same cache. And so the motivation has to be there. And I'm sure that everybody in that building understands what that means and, and what it means to play in the game and obviously ending off on a high note. So Definitely looking forward to that. Uh, let's rip through some coaching news here in the Big Ten. So you got Nebraska hiring passing game coordinator Mickey Joseph. I think his most recent stop was LSU. He spent some time down south, and this is big because Scott Frost can't miss on any of these guys that he brings in. And I think he he has to get recruiters obviously, but he's got to get guys in there who can really fix what the issues were. Um, and Adrian Martinez is transferring out of the program. And so they're going to have to bring along a new quarterback. We saw what Smothers looked like in their final game. Uh, but this is this is big because this is Scott Frost's prove-it year.
1: I agree. Um, you know, now that you said that, his stint at LSU, I believe it did cover that national championship game. So he has some exposure with Joe Brady, who's a guy who I I actually – Joe Brady was a GA when I was at Penn State. Yep. I uh, love him, worked really hard. Um, his story in terms of how he even got to LSU and everything he's he climbed the ladder very fast a testament to the type of guy he is so I think there are some elements there um, every coach learns from 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 experiences years guys they've been around and if they don't they usually don't last in that profession very long so I think that that's going to be a unique aspect to it um, but I do agree with you I think they they I still think they need to address that quarterback problem at least the quarterback room. I'm not even going to call it a problem. I think they mm-hmm. need to address that room. And I think that with the transfer portal and all the, all the resources that are available to them, they have a very solid pitch. They have, uh, an opportunity for you to come in. And if you're a very talented guy, step in and play right away, which most kids want to hear in the transfer portal anyway. Absolutely. Um, and I think that is something that they definitely need to try to do. They need to make it at least as competitive as possible. If they, if they, if they don't find the guy, they need to find a guy who can yep. get it done and make it really, really competitive. So, um, you know, this hire is interesting. It doesn't come with a lot of flash like you would expect, um, given the circumstances that Scott's in. But I think that there definitely is some background there. And I think your point about some ties down south, and from a recruiting standpoint, um, again, going back to what we were talking about earlier with Lincoln, Nebraska, not being a Mecca for people wanting to go there because, it's, right. you know, this this amazing city or anything <laughs> like that. Um, I think that's a great point. And if he can if he can, he can leverage some of that, some of those relationships and to get some talent there. Um, it could be it could be uh, it could be a job saving hire for 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 Scott.
0: I'm with you on that. Uh, Moving on, Ohio State hires Jim Knowles as their defensive coordinator, and and they're maxed out on coaches right now, which means that there's going to be another coaching change to come. Uh, Jim Knowles most recently at Oklahoma State, which had a top five defense that was comprised of mostly three-star players. Um, So this, I think, is good for Ohio State because they got a guy who's obviously a really good teacher. Um, who can get the most out of players and they had a really good defense that came to perform. They were aggressive. They were fun to watch. Um, and watching Ohio state's defense this year, I would say that they weren't necessarily that all year long. So this is a good change. I think Ryan day wanted to make a splash here and he went out and got a guy who was the leader of one of the best defenses in the country. And Oklahoma state was sitting there on the outside, looking in just a week ago with the chance to make the college football playoff largely because of how their defense performed. So, uh, very curious to see what the system looks like. I know he was more of a three down guy at Oklahoma state. I'm not exactly sure if that's the approach with some of the, the talent on the defensive line at Ohio state, but ultimately a change had to be made there and, and Ryan Day is trying to make a splash.
1: I think that's, that's the expectation at Ohio state. Um, and um, like you said, it's going to be interesting. There's going to be some shakeup. There's going to definitely be some, some aftershocks within the program because of this, yeah. but um Usually Ohio State doesn't make moves like that unless they're unless they believe in it and they believe it'll make an impact. So um, I I, I look for that to be the case here.
0: Yeah. And again, it's um, this is a pivotal offseason just in terms of how they approach the issues that they had. And it looks like they're trying to correct everything that's going on, which is a really good look there. Um, How about this? Josh Gaddis won the Broyles Award for the most outstanding assistant coach. In the country. And we had talked about him at nauseum earlier, just about Michigan's offense and their evolution. And I made this comment on one of the Big Ten Network shows, and I truly believe this, but this was an egoless uh, offense this year. The coaches were trying to make sure that they called what was best for the players and not what was best for what they thought their system was or whatever the case was there. And I actually had an opportunity to catch up with Josh Gaddis after the game at the team hotel. And I asked him about this offense and talked about the creativity and how it just felt like, you know, they called things that they needed to call. And the thing that he said to me was that the players understand the offense. They're bought into what they're trying to do. And that regardless of what they call the players made him right in a lot of situations, like they, they truly wanted to go out there and execute the game plan as it was prescribed. And I think that's really interesting that, um, you know, they, he was able to create that scenario of ultimate buy-in from the offense.
1: Yeah. I, um, I think Josh has done a great job of maturing. Uh, I, he was, he was the Ohio, he was the wide receiver coach at Penn state when I was there. And when they first, I'm not going to lie. When they first put him in that position, I was a little skeptical. I wasn't sure just, you know, for whatever my opinion's worth. I just wasn't sure if he was really ready to be, to be calling plays at that point in time in his career. But to make me look like a complete asshole, he has matured very, very fast. And I think he's just done, like you said, everything that you just said. He's done a great job of, of finding an identity within himself and then instilling that within the team and being able to morph it around what they do well Mm -hmm. and put those guys in situations to be successful. And ultimately as an offensive coordinator, that's your job. You can't try to stuff square pegs into round holes. You need to figure out what you do well and what you can execute consistently. And, uh, and, and when you find that out, um, you know, roll with it and be able to stay in it and stay in that mode. And he's been able to do that. So uh, you know, hats off, well deserved. I thought there was a, I thought this year there was a lot of guys that were deserving of, of, of that me award. And too. Josh Gaddis, um, you know, being able to, 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 to get, to get the popular vote there, um, very deserving. And congratulations, coach. If you ever listen, if you hear me, um, you know, really, really, really happy for you, man. That's, it's awesome.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm happy for him too. I mean, he's a guy who had taken his lumps a little bit just in terms of what people thought the offense should be and, um, you know, development of skill positions and all of that. And, and he just kept his head down and he was grinding on it. And I think he understood what they could be. It was just a matter of taking the time to get there and, and really instilling what that offense should look like. And so I'm, I'm excited again to see what they look like against Georgia's defense, but definitely well-deserved. And, and you're right, there were a lot of, of deserving coaches in there, but Josh Gaddis really showed what he could do. Um, Kirk Shiraka is back at Minnesota and I think this is really interesting. Um, he spent a little bit of time at Penn state, didn't work out for him. He's back. And when he was in charge of the offense, that was when they were at their best 2019 season. They were really good in that RPO system. And so I'm very, very curious to see now getting back to what they did well that year, what happens to this Minnesota program?
1: Yeah. Um, I agree with you. I, 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 think Minnesota, again, I think they're going to have to obviously replace the quarterback position with Tanner being out. So, um, adding some stability, there's going to going to, at least from a coaching staff standpoint, some familiarity is, is, is a big thing, but, um, you know, we'll, well, again, I think similarly, it's, it's a tough place to draw kids, but I think PJ does a great job in the recruiting world. So I think he's going to be able to do that without a doubt. Um, and, um, you know, I think I think Sarraca kind of got a got a got a tough tough pull at Penn State, at least just yeah. one year. When you look at the numbers, um, the team, the the offense was very efficient. Um, it just didn't result in wins yep. for them, and just everything going on. I just thought he got a kind of a tough a tough shake at it, a tough crack. Um, so I'm happy for him. I think he gets a, gets a, gets a, like I said, gets a chance to be back somewhere. He's familiar with coaching staff. He's familiar with relatively yep. speaking. I mean, it's been two years. A lot of, a lot of those players, he's probably a lot of the players. With. are Yeah. So that's a, that's, that's a big thing, man. It's it's a really big thing. So at least, you know, from a human, human element of it, I'm happy for him to get back to get back there and, 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 and get, get everything back on track for his career. Because like I said, I, I think when you examine the numbers with his shake at Penn state, it, it it was it wasn't as bad on the surface as it looked at times because of the results. And at the end of the day, you live in a results-oriented, and results-driven business. But totally agree. Um, with you. Yeah. So.
0: All right, and then this last uh, little talking point here: Mel Tucker and Jim Harbaugh are both up for the Eddie Robinson Coach of the Year award. There are a bunch of other coaches on this list. Uh, I think there are twelve finalists or semifinalists or whatever the case is. All four of the coaches that are in the CFP, Luke Fickle's on the list, a bunch of other names there. And so I'll ask you this question because it's been a big debate in Big Ten country. Mel Tucker won both the coaches and the media award for coach of the year in the Big Ten. And um, a lot of people in Ann Arbor, I mean, obviously that's a rival, but they thought that Jim Harbaugh was deserving of that award. And you compare the resumes Obviously, extremely low expectations for Michigan State. Most of the media picked them to finish in the basement of the East. I did as well. Um, and they were able to elevate up to a 10-win season and a New Year's Six bowl game. Meanwhile, Jim Harbaugh was the guy in the offseason who took the restructured contract, really had to bet on himself, revamped the whole coaching staff, was able to beat their rival for the first time in his career, made it to the Big Ten championship for the first time in his career, made it to the college football playoff in the first time of his career. So there, there, there are two different levels, right, because when you look at it and you say, well, Michigan State, you know, they only they won 10 games. and It's just a New Year's six bowl game versus Michigan being in a college football playoff. Um, you know, from that standpoint, it seems like Jim Harbaugh has done the job. But when you compare rosters and when you compare overall expectations and when you compare history as well it feels like mel tucker's really elevated and so i'll ask you the question who do you think is more deserving of this award
1: yeah i think that's a really i think that's a it's a very it's like it's like uh it's like michael jordan and Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan, LeBron James. It's it's really hard when you have the amount of success that both of those guys had. And ultimately, it's going to come down to what your definition of that award is. And and, um, at least me personally, not to take anything away from Jim Harbaugh. I think the situation, the tools that Jim Harbaugh had, it was much easier for him to do what he did this year. As a matter of fact, I would argue that this is the first year where our Harbaugh actually reached his expectations and his, his, his capabilities within what he had with within the program from a talent standpoint. Um, To your point, I mean, Mel Tucker coming in and the job he did in the transfer portal and, and the turnaround they had and being able to um, I mean, he's not in New York, but still Kenneth Walker, transfer portal guy coming in and being able to make a run at a Heisman campaign. Like, the the job that he did there, and I think it's he's he, he's he's brought an attitude, he's brought definition to a program that needed it, um, and he did it quickly. That's coaching. I mean, yeah. that's 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 coaching. I'm not saying that Jim Harbaugh didn't coach well this year. I'm just saying I think there's a lot of guys that could have taken Michigan's Michigan's roster and done a really good job with it. Um, I don't know if that's the case with Michigan State. Um, so for me. It, on, on when you look at it that way, in-depth dive, I think I think Mel Tucker was the right was the right call, or is the right call was the right call, and I think the guy deserves a ton of credit nationally for it too.
0: Yeah, that's kind of where I lie on it. And again, this is not to disparage or take away anything from Jim Harbaugh because this is a special season, and it's really hard to do what he's done, even with the talent, even with the resources. Like yeah. it's very rare air to achieve what he's achieved, but the turnaround for Michigan state. And it was through the portal and it was through just grinding guys and and through understanding what his roster was. He did some remarkable stuff. Um, And I I think he deserves a lot of credit in year two of that turnaround to be at this level because nobody expected it. Um, And so it's just, it's a really unique conversation because you have, and and I would throw for the big 10 at least like you talk about Kirk Ferentz and the job that he did you talk about Jeff Brom and what he did with Purdue this year. Like there were some really outstanding coaching performances throughout the conference. And it's something that I'm, I'm proud of. I'm sure you are just from being in the conference and understanding how difficult big 10 football is week in and week out. Uh, it's just really unique. And, and it's good. Like you said that these guys are both getting the recognition on the national level because they have both been phenomenal this year.
1: hundred percent. And, and like, I think your point too, it's such a, The conference has so many great coaches in it it's it's this is going to be competitive year in year out from a coaching standpoint and um any you could you could probably rattle off any any of these guys at some point in time within the next 10 years even going um to Bielema, like right pj fleck i mean the job he did pj fleck the job like yeah, the results aren't quite there, and the resumes don't quite match up. But there's, but there's a lot of really good turnaround and a lot of really good standards being set by these by these leaders within the within the conference. So, um, you know, it, like it's 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 good. All of it's good. Competition's great. It brings yeah. out the best in everybody. And I think, I think you know, maybe like you said, maybe there's some Michigan fans feel they got snuffed. But you know. Give some credit to to the little to why well, you can't call them little brothers. They beat your ass. But yeah. <laughs> give some credit, give some credit, give some credit to the guy up up there who did a, who, who um who did a good job, and it's yeah. good for the conference.
0: I'm telling you right now, I'm sure if if Jim Harbaugh does not win this award, but he wins the Orange Bowl, he'd probably want that trophy rather than the yeah. plaque or whatever he gets from a the, or the uh, from the uh, Eddie Robinson Coach of Year Award. So. A
1: thousand percent. <laughs>
0: we'll keep it moving on that. Into our final segment, which we're going to talk about these Big Ten Heisman hopefuls, and and we're going to kind of make the case for each one of them. So the finalists came out, and there are are four guys going to New York. You've got uh, uh, Bryce Young from Alabama, who has been really, really good this year. You've got Kenny Pickett from Pitt, who has been phenomenal as well. You've got CJ Stroud, who's the other quarterback who has turned heads as a young player in Ohio State's offense, and you got Aiden Hutchinson, who is the lone defensive guy who made it to New York, who has been absolutely lights out this year. So make the case for C.J. Stroud and why he deserves to win the Heisman.
1: Well, it's hard because I believe Bryce Young cemented it last week. I think so, too. Um, and I also believe that if you're going to go off of most valuable player to their team, to their conference, I think Kenny Pickett's probably the pick if that was the case. I tend to agree with that as well. um, but I think CJ got there. I don't think he's going to win it this year, but he got there. I think he matured. He took massive strides throughout the year um, and has really set himself to be a front runner next year. And the if well, yeah, if, well, no, he could leave that for next year, right?
0: Yeah, he can, Bryce Young yeah, can. So, so.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's crazy as hell. Um, I but I think, I think he's, I think he's really put himself in a good position on the national level to to get back, um, and and do it again. Uh, I just love the way he matured. I think he settled in very nicely. Even the even the games they lost played very well. Um, yes. Never lost the game for him. It was yep. out of his control. He did everything he could to keep him in it. Um, and. I think that that, that, that machine keeps spitting out guys. And as long as they keep getting receivers to throw, throw, throw to that, create separation and Ryan days, there dialing things up. He's going to have a great chance at it again. Um, So not to be discouraging and not to be, you know, doom and gloom. Like I said, I don't think he's going to win it, but I think he's done a great job of, of managing the expectations that are put on, that were put on him in the beginning of the year, which were unfair managing them and still being able to exceed them in his own way and, and really do a really fine job of it. And like I said, I'm excited about him moving forward because I think he's a special player.
0: I echo all of that. Um, I'll throw in, he's third in the nation in yards per attempt. Um, And he's about, he's over a yard ahead of either of the other two quarterbacks on there. I would also throw that he's got the, uh, the best QBR in the nation as well and if if we're getting into the nitty-gritty he played basically four games less than a regular season between the game he sat out and some of the blowouts where he only played in a half of the game and so i think it's been really impressive the knock on him is the fact that he truly didn't have a heisman moment like he had that really impressive game against michigan state where he threw for over 400 yards in the first half of the game and then against Michigan, he played really well, but it can't be a Heisman moment if your team doesn't win the game. And so exactly. I think that really hampered him because coming out of the Michigan game, he was the betting favorite for this award. And so you mentioned, but I'll like, tell you what,
1: even, but even the Oregon game, dude, I mean, the guy's yeah. 450 yards. Right? right. And like, you can't do anything about not and like he, he did everything he could, yep. you know, I'm sure, I'm sure he probably looked back at it. and was like, dang, I, I left something out there because yeah. all great players do, but um. I mean, he did everything he he damn well could, Um, and it like like you said, it's just he lacked that staple performance. Yeah, and he had two opportunities, and unfortunately, those opportunities were on opposite ends of the the schedule. Yeah, Um, but you know, he'll 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 have his chances, and and I, I like I said, I'm very confident in his maturity and his development that he'll he'll he won't disappoint next year.
0: Yeah, I'm sure he'll be back next year. And then the other guy we have to make a case for is Aiden Hutchinson. And I will flat out say there's no chance anybody in there had the stones to give him enough votes that he would win the damn thing. But when you talk about a dominant defensive player and you talk about a guy who has been a true leader in the heart and soul of a football team who is elevated, who has exceeded expectations, who has been in territory they haven't Mm -hmm. been in in two decades, essentially. Uh, he's a huge part of it. And it's really unique because I was talking to somebody who has a Heisman vote and he said to me that he doesn't think that Aiden Hutchinson should win the Heisman because he can't impact the game the way a quarterback can. And I said to him, well, then why the hell is this for the best player in America if we're, we're evaluating this from who can impact the game more? Um, yeah. And so for Aiden Hutchinson, I would say the honor of, of even being in New York as a defensive player is huge. But if there is a guy who has been absolutely dominant at his position, almost head and shoulders above anybody else playing it. This is the name right here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's done. Yeah. He's just, he showed up every week. Um, and then there's that element too, that you said, he kind of carried the weight of, of, of the program on his shoulders as a leader vocally, spiritually, I think. Yep. In a, in a way, you know, the way that he, carried 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 out his business and and did things and I agree with you man it, I, weirdly enough and I and I had Bryce Young not did what he what he did against uh, Georgia had they lost that game or something like that and he just kind of limped into New York and had had CJ not had that performance against Michigan State and just kind of you know status quo 300 yards two touchdowns and like a pick or something stupid like that I think there'd be an argument for yeah. this year just because of how crazy this year was because when you're when when you talk about the Heisman race throughout its entirety this year there was the middle of the year was just kind of like everyone was waiting for somebody to do something they were like come on man like someone someone make a case someone step up and that's where you get a guy who from a defensive standpoint consistently goes to work every day and then starts showing up and then has his Heisman moments plays really well in the game does um against Ohio State he had a chance, but he needed, he needed help. And unfortunately those guys took advantage of it. Um, But that like this year, just how crazy it was. Like this year was the year where I think you could have made an argument had, had things played out a little bit differently for a defensive guy to, to, to really make some noise and, and get some votes in there. But, to your point, it's just hard because the definition of the Heisman has changed significantly. It has um throughout the years, just due to the fact that the quarterback position has gotten so much emphasis on it. And I mean, even running backs, like it's unfair to I mean, like Kenneth Kenneth had one bad game and he's done. Right. You know, right. but the guys but that but the year he put together was insane.
0: It was phenomenal. Um
1: so you know, there there's there's things like that. There's there's arguments all over the place, but yeah, I mean, Aiden, Aiden, Aiden is not gonna never not have a meal when he goes to Ann Arbor for the rest of his right. life. You know, right. so he, he's he's done a hell of a job, and like you said, for him to even be there is is a hell of an honor. And yeah. um, he's 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 a phenomenal football player, really fun to
0: watch, old yeah. school. And and I'll say, like, I I personally doubted what type of year he was gonna have. I did this list in the preseason of of returning Big Ten players, and I didn't have him as high as he probably should have been. Because he was coming off injury, and then they were implementing a new defensive system that I wasn't exactly confident was going to fit his skill set the best. And I was super wrong. And the dude is amazing because he called me out on it um, on the the post game of the the Big Ten championship, and he had every right to. But that's kind of been his mentality he's been a doubted guy. And you can say the same thing for CJ Stroud as a young quarterback coming off the heels of, of two years of Justin Fields. And people didn't think that he was he was far enough along for a guy who's getting his first starts. The mentality of those two guys to be able to stay the course and to be able to elevate the way that they did this year, I think is the most impressive thing about either one of them. And uh, that is that's the one thing you can't account for in athletics is when somebody is determined to achieve a certain goal or to hit a certain standard. And both of them did it, man. So it was really impressive to me. All right, well, we'll call this one a show. This was the JP and Hack Show, part of the Field of 12 Media Network, Season 1, Episode 16, presented by our partners over at Beaver Sportsbook, Joshua Perry, Christian Hackenberg. We'll be back with a few more episodes detailing these bowl games. We're going to get into the matchups. We're going to get into what we're looking for. We're going to dive really hard into the X's and O's. We hope that you will be with us for it. Stay tuned.